the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. President Biden admits it. He too, like President Trump before him, has been found to have been in possession of confidential government documents, classified documents. It's so much worse when it's the person who had your own administration implicated. It's a pattern now. We'll hear from Andy McCarthy. I think as a practical matter, this ends up becoming a gotcha. What's getting at people is the double standard. They didn't raid the offices with FBI agents in body armor with loaded guns. Plus, the 118th Congress begins. We'll hear from a key voice among the Freedom Caucus, Chip Roy. We got the power for your representatives to be your voice. And now, the majority leader in the House, Steve Scalise. People have been fed up and frustrated with it for a long time, but they also didn't think anybody in Washington was fighting for them. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me on Twitter, at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well, please, at Town Hall Review. We'll begin at the University of Pennsylvania and the Penn Biden Center, where over the course of the last week, we've learned that the president has been holding confidential papers from the time as vice president under Barack Obama. I turn to Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Molly, the former vice president, Mike Pence, just denounced as absurd and a uh, double standard the fact that the Biden papers were not referred to Jack Smith as special counsel. And he, of course, knows what a special counsel means. Both guys are running for president. Both guys are accused of having classified information and taking it with them. Why do you think Merrick Garland did not send that matter to Jack Smith, the special counsel, who has far more power than a U.S. attorney in Chicago. Well, it's even worse than just a double standard because the special counsel is for the Department of Justice when there's a conflict of interest. Yes. So there was no need to set up the special counsel or even really to do any of much of any of what they've been doing against President Trump regarding paperwork disputes from when he was president. But if you are going to take that approach, that was you know that this is such a big issue. It's so much worse when it's your own administration that's impl- or your the person who has your own administration that's implicated. And when he was not president, when he obtained the classified documents that were apparently mishandled. So this is you know he was vice president, not president. There were certainly different authorities given to those two offices, and so it's just a very and yet another very bad mark on the Department of Justice, which has unfortunately been way too political these last several years. Do you think legacy media will cover it at all fairly? (laughs) I'm actually somewhat surprised that they've covered it at all, and it has been covered. Uh, And that's that's a a good start for our friends there in in the legacy media or the corporate media. Uh, But they did so much to cover up all of these things. You might remember during the campaign, there were paperwork issues where the University of Delaware was holding on to papers that would have been a way to 
help deal with all sorts of issues. And Biden refused to be transparent or release those documents. Uh, the media did not seem to really care that much or they seemed to think it would be a problem for his campaign if they pressed that issue. But because of what has been done in such an unprecedented fashion this this past year with the raiding of Mar-a-Lago and turning fairly common presidential paperwork disputes into World War III, um, this is something that will be very difficult for them to ignore. Yes, there are some parallels here to what we've seen with President Trump. But at a fundamental level, should you and I as citizens be concerned that President Biden or President Trump are leaving boxes of genuinely top-secret materials lying around for, say, just a janitor to gain access to? We'll turn to a veteran in these sorts of stories, former prosecutor Andy McCarthy. It's either five alarm fire for everybody or it's not at all. And so you need to help me understand just I'm not talking about crimes. I'm just talking about this is either a big deal for everybody or nobody, but it can't be one or the other. True. True. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, some information in the government that is classified should not be classified. And then other information stuff that's classified at a level that's known as SCI, which means sensitive compartmentalized information. And what that means is uh, it's got to be held at a higher level of security because it refers to uh, sensitive sources of secret intelligence or methods for gathering intelligence. I mention that because it's been widely reported that the documents that were in Biden's office were SCI, at least some of them. Uh, So for him to Uh, express shock about that in connection with Trump. Uh, I don't think he gets a pass to to sort of slough it off in connection with him. I think as a practical matter, this ends up becoming a gotcha for people who are, you know, president, vice president, secretary of state, head of the CIA, because their entire workload is chock-a-block with highly classified information this this came to light just now, but apparently this right. was discovered before the election. Why now are we finding out about it? And here's my theory. I actually think they don't want to go any further with Trump on this documents thing. I think the damage was done with the Mar-a-Lago raid just to make him look like a scumbag. They got what they wanted out of it. That's as far as they take it. And I actually I know this sounds nuts, but I actually think they would prefer to run against Trump. And I think they're actually trying to unwind some trouble for him now by saying, eh, Biden did it too. That's not what they're saying or the way they're saying it. But I think that's credibly the way that most of the country is going to look at this now. Yeah, well, I agree with you that they want to run against Trump. And I would actually, in a kind of a diabolical way, I think almost if you really want to run against Trump, what they ought to do is not charge Biden and charge Trump and then get everybody all whipped up about the two standards of justice, right? Because Trump will use that uh, in his primary campaign. It might be a very powerful message to get the nomination, and then they think they'll beat him uh, in the general election. I hope that's not the kind of game they play, but like it's it's out there. Can I just quickly um, bottom line this? Charges for either of these men, anything serious going to happen to Biden or Trump related to these documents? I think that the Trump case is very serious, but I think what backed them up all this time, Chris, was really the Clinton case more than anything else, because she also had a really egregious offense uh, and she got a complete pass. So they've spent all this time trying to show that Trump was uniquely awful compared to even Hillary so that he has to be charged. I think they had a very small margin of error. So this revelation about Biden hurts them in a in a sensible world, I think. You know, Clinton would have been prosecuted. 
which would have made a good case for prosecuting Trump. From what we know about Biden so far, this looks like a, a sort of an idiotic thing that, that Biden did, which typically doesn't get prosecuted. If it turns out that he didn't do this willfully, that it was just a mistake, um, you know, he, he would probably get a pass. But unfortunately, it's become so political that you can't disentangle the politics from the offense. Yeah. And I, I would just question why. I mean, it makes more sense that Trump's in possession of documents, period, than Biden. I mean, what, what's a vice president, you know, lugging around yeah. stuff to a college office? That doesn't make no, any sense to me. Well, except that, remember, he was the, you know, part of the scandal that we're dealing with, especially with all this foreign money, is because Obama put Biden in charge of so much of foreign policy. Yeah. And apparently these documents were like to Iran and Ukraine and uh, something with the U.K., um, so I guess it's not that surprising because that Biden, Biden, who is a lifelong, I, I think I, I hate to call him a mediocrity because that's a kind of an insult to mediocrities. But, um, you know, he, he's uh, he he fancies himself a uh, foreign policy expert. The aspect of all this that highlights something fundamentally wrong is the double standard that is all too evident for anyone to see. Here's Sebastian Gorka. The National Archives took possession of the classified documents, which, by the way, include the highest level, not only top secret, but special compartmented information, SCI documentation the very next day. They didn't, they didn't raid the offices with FBI agents in body armor with loaded guns. They didn't raid Biden's home, the White House. They didn't raid his home in Delaware. Quote, the documents were not the subject of any previous request or inquiry by the archives. Oh, that's okay then. Oh, who cares whether they're classified? Nobody was looking for them. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, John Lausch, to review the matter, according to CBS, which first reported on the documents' discovery yesterday. Biden slammed former president last year after FBI agents seized approximately 300 classified documents from his Mar-a-Lago home in Florida. Here's a little reminder. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought... What data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. Hmm. Allegedly, according to recent reports, amongst the documents that were classified at the highest level, top secret, SCI, include policy documents on the Ukraine. Yeah, on the Ukraine. Isn't that interesting? And also, President Trump, unlike any vice president ever, I don't care who they are, Republican or Democrat, uh, President Trump can declassify any document like that, which he did. The documents at Mar-a-Lago are not classified, if he deems them not to be. A vice president cannot declassify anything, ever. He can request they be declassified, but he has no power to do so. So that's a crime. And let's summarize it all with a great clip from the one and only Byron Donalds. Oh, well, my reaction is pretty simple. I'm wondering why the vice president of the United States, 
had classified documents outside of the hands of the intelligence community. Listen, it's been pretty clear that presidents do have some classified documents. But the difference between a president and everybody else is the president has the ability to declassify information. The vice president has no ability to declassify information. So number one, what was he doing with classified information in his possession? Number two, why did it take six years? And I, I want to stress this for the American people. Joe Biden left the vice presidency in 2017. So it's taken six years for these documents to surface. That is incredibly concerning. And point number three, and this is the one that's most important. Everybody can go back to the Hillary Clinton email saga. We know other presidents have had classified information. But why was there a raid on Mar-a-Lago? But now this story just kind of seeps out and everybody's saying, oh, we just want to get down to the bottom of it. And everybody's giving the benefit of the doubt. And it seeps out now, despite these documents being discovered six days before the midterms. Coming up, the 118th Congress gets underway. People have been fed up and frustrated with it for a long time, but they also didn't think anybody in Washington was fighting for them. And that changed when we got the majority. Chip Roy of Texas, when the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. It took 15 votes and a ton of drama, but the Republicans in the House finally got it done. Kevin McCarthy is now the Speaker of the House. The members are now sworn in and business is underway. Chip Roy, the representative coming out of South Texas, was instrumental in navigating the path forward. Roy is part of the Freedom Caucus. Roy voted against McCarthy for 11 straight sources. And then he struck a deal and changed his vote. He led the way in navigating a conclusion to the longest delay in selecting a speaker since 1859. That's before the Civil War. Congressman Roy was a guest of Charlie Kirk. Just walk us through your take from last week and some of the victories that are now no longer abstract but are now realities. There were a handful of members uh, that are fairly public now. There were at least five. There were a few more than that, I would tell you, who basically said, well, we can't get behind Kevin. And so then we started having conversations about what we need to do. And I'm not going to give the whole TikTok because we don't have enough time. But at the end of the day, we put forward on December 8th a list of requests, as you to use your words, what we believe were central to anyone who would be speaker. If you go back and look at that document from December 8th, it's public. It's wide, widely out there. Everybody talking about secret deals. You know, secret deals. We put all this out there for the public to see. And we made specific requests about restoring Jefferson's single-person motion to vacate for accountability, about making sure that you could have 72 hours to read the bills, to have single-subject bills, to have germaneness rules, to be able to have open debate and offer amendments on the floor on us, particularly appropriation bills. We had specific language in there about needing to have a plan for securing the border and policy choices, and then importantly, limits on spending. We talked about the need to have conservatives on important a committees, the Appropriations Committee, the Energy and Commerce, Ways and Means 
uh, financial services, the powerful, you know, number one committees, if you will. And in particular, the powerful rules committee, which is how stuff gets to the floor. Now, that's all in the weed stuff. Yes. For the average American, here's what we got. We got the power for your representatives to be your voice. We opened the House up. We tried to give more ideological diversity among the committees. We need to stand up and limit spending. We need to stand up against the weaponization of government against the American people and stand up in defense of civil liberties. We need to stand up for a strong military, sparingly used, forcefully used, non-woke military, and make sure we stand up to secure the border of the United States. And importantly, we need to restore federalism so we can agree to disagree, stop trying to solve every problem in this godforsaken town. We can do that with these tools. It was a helpful exercise of which I was afraid it was going to go the other direction, where you guys kind of got any of the grievances out of your system. You guys figured out how to work with one another. And in, a, in a strange way, it almost drew you guys closer to one another. And look, that's not uh, something that should surprise anyone about how human beings interact. Um, I'm talking to everybody and saying, look, let's move forward. No retaliation. Don't care any side of this whole fight. Let's all unite. And this morning in the Republican conference meeting, there was energy and enthusiasm and unity. You know, we came together. We had to sit across the table, figure things out. And you force people to the table. It's one of the reasons why I've said that our biggest problem with with deficit spending and just writing checks and then going to our corners and giving press conferences is you never have to do what a business does or a family does. Sit around the table, roll up your sleeves and make tough choices. Yes. If you're a family budget, you say, look, I'm capping my budget to, to the 2022 level that we spent. My wife and I can't not pay our mortgage, right? We For the federal government, we can't not pay our interest and we can't not defend the country. But we better damn well then have a debate about all the other things. And just like my family, I'm not going to cut our mortgage. I'm not going to take food off the table. I'm not going to not pay for electricity, but I might cut my vacation. I might change the car I have. And that's what we have to do as a country. We're not doing it. We just sat down this week. We rolled our sleeves up. That's a model. Let's do it. Let's do what I was saying right before Christmas when the Senate was like, oh, we got to blow out of town. Why? Uh, why? The boys at, at uh, the Battle of the Bulge, you know, sitting in the trenches, they didn't walk away at Christmas. Neither did the guys crossing yep. the Delaware. So our job is to get this done right for the American people, and we should do it. An effective congressional term will be critical, both for the nation and for the 2024 presidential election cycle that will be on us before we know it. If it's a successful term, it will be in no small part because of our next guest, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise. He's a Louisiana congressman you know well. He's also the one who was critically wounded at the congressional baseball practice in 2017. Scalise is a guest of Joe Piscopo on AM 970 The Answer in New York City. When you saw the unrest on the Republican side, what was more upsetting to me, Congressman Scalise, is that the Democrats rised in unison and, and in within the House of Representatives and the Democratic Party is Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib, these anti-Semites. And they're backing all these people that, uh, in my opinion, don't like America. And they're sticking united and they're standing up and they're doing. And then and then when Ke- when Kevin McCarthy finally goes, our first order of business is to repeal the 87,000 IRS agents. And all of us are going, yes, yes, the, re- the Democrats don't stand up. This is my old party, Congressman. How do you not stand up and applaud putting a rain on the IRS for crying out loud, right? Yeah, and we had the vote last night, by the way. We find we brought the bill up and we passed it through the House without any Democrats supporting it Look because they want government going after you. And that was what yeah. that fight was about is 
will Washington work for you, you know, kind of we the people, or is Washington set up to only serve themselves? If they create problems that they want you to have to live under and they don't want to be uh, ha- having to follow the same rules, can't we fix that? And, and for a while, the rules really weren't set up to fix those problems. And so we changed the rules. And we passed that last night, too, by the way. We formally passed the rules package so that members can be more engaged in fixing the problems like the open southern border and inflation and the horrible energy policy where we have to be relying on foreign countries. We can make everything here in America. And again, and you can, what I like about you, um, uh, Steve, if I may, Congressman, is that you yeah. keep it nice. I don't know, but people get they'll get mad because you got to be harsh. You got to be right between the eyes. And and I don't I think that's what bothered me about uh, how the, the, the laundry was being aired, the dirty laundry was being aired. But in the end, we appreciate the fight. And, and I, my new mantra, Steve Scalise, is kill him with kindness, kill him with kindness, even you know, with humility. You have humility. Steve Scalise, you've got humility. That is a that's a like a gone art it's a gone feeling of humanity in politics and to that point if i may congressman how do you do that yeah. in a nice way but in a very succinct direct way to shut down the department of justice and the weaponization of this governmental arm well and, and later this week we're going to be setting up a commission that actually focuses on looking at these government agencies that are using their power weaponizing the federal government to go after people that they disagree with You know, it's one thing we used to think, you know, some of these agencies are just there to enforce the law or be regulators to carry out the laws of Congress. And then you find out unelected bureaucrats are just making up rules to go crush businesses because they don't like them. And then you see some of these agencies and, you know, gee whiz, somebody's sending something out on Twitter that they disagree with. So just go shut down their Twitter account because we don't like what they say. That's crazy. And it's on American, too, by the way, Joe. And I think that's what we're, we're working to recalibrate. Uh, you know, I was in a meeting in my office last night with Jim Jordan, and we were talking about some of the things that his committee, he's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee now, that's going to be looking into a lot of this stuff. And, and people have been fed up and frustrated with it for a long time, but they also didn't think anybody in Washington was fighting for them. And that changed when we got the majority, because that really is what this is about. It's fighting for the people who government had been using their powers and abusing their powers to go after. That is not the American way. That's not what our founding fathers envisioned. And yet it's gotten so out of sync. Coming up, the Select Committee on China. The Select Committee will expose the CCP's coordinated whole-of-society strategy to undermine American leadership and American sovereignty. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, Charlie Kirk here. We've been working very hard on an amazing new docuseries called Border Battle. It chronicles the horrifying conditions on America's southern border. What you are going to see in Border Battle will blow your mind. It's amazing. First-hand interviews, incredible commentary, straight up on the front lines. We've worked very hard on this from Turning Point USA, and we are exposing the border crisis. Available exclusively on SalemNow.com. Produced by Turning Point USA. Available at SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. There were a number of reasons to be frustrated by the delay of the Speaker's selection, and thus the formal launch of the 118th Congress. Simply put, it delayed some very important work. At the top of that list, at least as it relates to our nation's posture in an increasingly dangerous 21st century world, is the work of the Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. 
Note this. The House voted 365 to 65 in favor of establishing this committee. Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher will be the chairman of what I now call the Gallagher Committee. He addressed his colleagues on Tuesday. It is time to understand the urgency of the threat. It is time to reclaim our economic independence in key areas. The Select Committee will expose the CCP's coordinated whole-of-society strategy to undermine American leadership and American sovereignty while working on a bipartisan basis and with the committees of jurisdiction to identify long-overdue, common-sense approaches to counter CCP aggression. And I stress working on a bipartisan basis because that's the only way we're going to be successful over the long term. The CCP doesn't pose a danger to just Republicans or Democrats. It's a threat to all Americans. And I commend my colleague for his work on the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. That is one of the most consequential, significant pieces of legislation that we've passed on a bipartisan basis in recent years. And it's up to us to ensure that it's fully implemented. And there's much work to be done on that front. We need to have a united front here in Congress to counter the Chinese Communist Party. And in so doing, at every step along the way, we must make sure that we are drawing a distinction between the party and the Chinese people, with whom we have no quarrel, and who are often the primary victims of CCP, CCP aggression and repression. In sum, there is no more critical challenge facing our nation today. I am grateful to Speaker McCarthy for his leadership in establishing this select committee for giving me the mission of ensuring this stays bipartisan. You've heard his sincerity in wanting this to be an area where Republicans and Democrats can work together. Now the Gallagher Committee Chair, Mike Gallagher, joined my program on Wednesday. What's important for the audience to know about the new committee? I think the big takeaway, we got an overwhelming bipartisan vote of support for the committee. It was 365 to 65. I think listening to the floor debate, you saw um, a lot of Democrats that came down in favor. Uh, they expressed recognition of the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party, particularly sort of the economic component of the threat is what Democrats like Ro Khanna uh, tend to get motivated by. So I think that's a great starting point for the committee. Speaker McCarthy, you saw in his comments, very much was sincere in wanting this to be a bipartisan uh, effort and said a few things that I think are are noteworthy. One, that the era of wishful thinking on China is over and that, uh, you know, certain things uh, are obvious, such as the fact that ESG benefits the CCP. So that's an indication that we are going to have a very, um, you know, l let's say at times difficult, but hopefully productive conversation with the financial community about how we prevent ourselves from subsidizing communist genocide and China's military modernization. So all things considered, it was a fantastic start to the committee's existence. And to have that overwhelming expression of bipartisan support from Congress, I think is important because that reduces the ability of the CCP to drive a wedge uh, in Congress. And I would say for my Democratic colleagues who voted no, many of them expressed a concern that somehow the committee's work would uh, intensify or fuel sort of anti-Asian American Rhetoric. I think that's completely unfounded. I think that's just an excuse to oppose, you know, a Republican effort. Uh, and part of what we did uh, on the floor last night, myself and all my Republican colleagues, and even some of the Democrats recognized it, like Ro Khanna in his speech, is to remind people that 
we edited the name of the committee so that it says Chinese Communist Party because we are concerned about the threat posed by the party. We have no quarrel with the Chinese people. Uh, the Chinese people are the primary victims of the CCP's oppression and repression, and we must remind people of that basic distinction at every turn. So a great start to the committee yesterday. I was glad to hear that in your floor speech. Uh, I know that you've made that point repeatedly. This has nothing to do with Chinese Americans. It has a lot to do with the agents of the Chinese Communist Party, and they are numerous in the United States. The espionage threat is real. In fact, yesterday I got my advanced copy of Mike Pompeo's new book, Never Give an Inch, and it starts off by hammering on China, pointing out the reset that occurred under the Trump years in our recognition. This morning in news items by John Ellis, the Chinese foreign ministry announced yet another saber rattling about Taiwan and attacking. I think it was an attack on the Gallagher committee, uh, but I'll, I'll leave that to you to read. I would like to know some specifics. How many members will it have? Do you know who is going to be the ranking minority member and what members are you certain are going to be on the committee with you? Coming up, we cannot win this unless we have American companies that are out innovating their Chinese uh, counterparts and indeed think of themselves as American. More with Congressman Mike Gallagher when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Just a few minutes ago, I pointed out the strong bipartisan vote that established the committee on the threat of the Chinese Communist Party. For the good of the nation, we all ought to hope that both parties remain engaged and focused. They remain serious about this threat. Let's pick up with more of my conversation with Chairman Mike Gallagher. There will be nine Republicans and seven Democrats, uh, so a smaller committee analogous to the size of the Intel Committee, a little bit smaller than that, actually. I actually think that is an asset. Uh, it makes us more nimble. It makes us abil our ability to respond to things quickly, um, you know, more obvious and easier. Um, as for the specific membership of the committee, uh, starting with the ranking member on the other side, I don't know. That'll be for Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader, to decide entirely. I do know this. We have a lot of Democrats with serious national security street cred that have asked me about it and have said they've asked Hakeem Jeffries to be considered for ranking members. So I'm cautiously optimistic that the ranking member will be someone um, of substance, uh, not only with the right temperament, but with the right background to bring to bear on these issues. And that'll make our work, again, more bipartisan. Uh, so that's a good thing, in my opinion. But we'll see. That's entirely up to the Democrats to um, uh, to choose. And I spoke with Hakeem Jeffries on the floor yesterday. And I just reiterated the fact that you know, I'm not I'm not going to use this to score cheap shots. This is about putting in America, putting America in a position where we can win this new Cold War and we can deter World War Three in the near term, where we can enhance our deterrent posture. So my hope is they'll participate. 
On our side, similarly, Kevin McCarthy will make the decision. I'm submitting a list of, of recommended members, but it's ultimately up to the speaker. He's got to balance a lot of things. I will say this, Hugh, we have a lot of really talented uh, members. I'm very excited about the group of members we're going to have on our side, just sort of my, and I know that Kevin McCarthy is only going to put serious people on the committee. So we don't have the membership yet. That's the next step. In some ways, that's the most important step, but I'm hoping to have that resolved either by the end of this week or early next week so we can really get to work. Now, uh, Chairman Gallagher, the uh, Democrats are mad at Speaker McCarthy because he has announced his intention to remove from the Intelligence Committee Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff. I mean, Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff, yes, and Ilan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. It is my earnest hope that Hakeem Jeffries does not, for political points, appoint any of those three to the committee, that he stays serious from the beginning. But I know there's a red line there. Any any worry on your part that Hakeem Jeffries will try and score a political point by putting people on that McCarthy just has to immediately remove? You know, I, I really hope not. I mean, based on my conversations with my Democratic colleagues now, I don't think so. So I really hope they don't go, go down that road. Um, as for uh, Swalwell, you know, there are serious security concerns with, with respect to his um, position on, on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. We're not dealing with that from a perspective of of politics, we're dealing from we're dealing with it from a perspective of what's best for American national security. And so, uh, again, I hope we can avoid the the you know the political point scoring, and I hope it doesn't affect the Select Committee on China's uh, work. Now, Chairman Gallagher, does the committee have subpoena power? Uh, it was not specified in the rule, uh, but we're working through the logistics in terms of what the overall rule, what it means for the Select Committees. I don't anticipate it being a problem at all. The worst case scenario is when we do joint hearings, you know, we can subpoena that way. Uh, but I, at, right now, you know, in talking with the leadership staff, I don't think it's going to be uh, a hurdle that we can't overcome. Now, in terms of getting cooperation on the espionage side, you've got to get the executives from Meta, the executives from, from Google, the executives from all of the large social media companies in to talk to you about TikTok and other issues including penetration of their own organization by agents of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, do you anticipate anticipation from big tech on this committee? Well, I'm sure some big tech executives are not eager to talk to the committee. But the approach I'm taking now is one of, OK, I want to give you an opportunity to explain your position. I come in with certain pre-existing uh, biases. If you want to make a counter argument, that's fine, but we're going to do it out in the open for the American people to see. Big tech has to confront the growing suspicion about their allegiances, the growing suspicion about their practices, the perception that there's a complete lack of transparency. And it's not just my committee that would have an interest in that. It's going to be Jim Jordan's committee that has an interest in that, particularly when it comes to the perceived collusion between certain big tech companies and the Biden administration. So they ignore those questions. They ignore our request to testify uh, at their own peril. And just look at what's happened in TikTok over the uh, to TikTok in the last two months. There's been a sea change in Congress in terms of recognizing the threat posed by TikTok. We had a overwhelmingly bipartisan vote uh, in favor of banning TikTok on government devices. I have a bill for the broader ban that has Democratic support. Mark Warner is talking about the threat posed by TikTok uh, in the Senate. So if you hesitate, if you prevaricate, you're going to invite more congressional scrutiny and opposition. So I hope 
that that doesn't happen. I also want to give an opportunity for the tech companies that are out there that I know have a more patriotic view right now, or at least still think of themselves as American companies and recognize how essential they are to us winning this long-term competition with China. I want to give them an opportunity to talk about how we win, right? We cannot win this unless we have American companies that are out innovating their Chinese uh, counterparts and indeed think of themselves as Americans. So I think I don't think we'll have any uh, problems getting, you know, big tech to comply. If they do, it's just going to be very problematic for them. I would like to see the two entities most visibly compromised by China. That would be the Walt Disney Corporation in the form of Bob Iger and the NBA in the form of Commissioner Silver. I would like Iger and Silver before your committee to answer questions. And, and is that possible? That's my first question. Do you expect those two to be early witnesses as emblematic of what the CCP has done to American organizations dependent on their market? Yes, I do. So, I mean, consider this me uh, giving them the initial warning order that they'll have to testify before the committee, uh, you know, engage with them in a the discussion. But we want to have a discussion in front of the American people. I think it drives the American people crazy when they see the NBA bending the knee to Xi Jinping, um, it really drives them crazy. And also, the bigger concern is that it gives us a preview of what's going to happen to the rest of our domestic industries if we allow the Chinese Communist Party to control the commanding heights of technology and the economy. They will be able to blackmail the entire world. They will be able to coerce the entire world. That That's not just isolated to the greedy executives in Hollywood or the NBA. That's a preview of things to come if we do not change course with a sense of urgency. So Bob Iger and Adam Silver will before, be before the Gallagher Committee. Coming up, the board. The border is the number one issue that Republican voters care about. That's why we have the majority. We have to use it. Indiana Congressman Jim Banks in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us. I'm Georgine Rice. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. The federal government pushes pharmaceutical abortions. Now every woman's home is ultimately going to be an abortion facility. And the culture of death takes on a whole new dimension. More than half of all abortions in the United States happen by means of taking a so-called abortion pill. While the population of the entire planet is shaped by this. The leading cause of death in 2022 is abortion. Plus, Asian American students are sidelined as a result of their high test scores. And this seems to be in certain areas of the country, the only state-sanctioned form of bigotry is anti-Asian bigotry. Be sure to join us and visit our website at ChristianOutlook.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. For some 18 years now, I have been arguing for a border barrier on our southern border along the 1,000 miles of the 2,000 miles that are passable. I was an advocate for it during the years of George W. Bush. I was among the many champions who backed the efforts of Donald Trump to actually make real-world progress to protect our southern border. And in 2023, we're feeling the threat of Biden's porous open border policy. I turned to Jim Banks the Indiana congressman, the likely candidate for Senator Mike Braun's Indiana seat, 
and a border hawk. Will somebody come up with a message early so we can repeat it often on what the demand is for the debt limit raise? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. This is the leverage that the majority gives us, and we have a duty to use that leverage, especially when it comes to securing the border. This was why the rules package last night was important, getting rid of the, the Gephardt rule, which is a Democrat rule that every time they have the majority, they institute. And when Republicans have the majority, we get rid of it. That allows for the debt limit to increase on its own when a, when a budget is passed that spends more money. So by getting rid of the, of the Gephardt rule, that gives us more leverage to do exactly what you were describing that we do. We have a duty to do that, and, and uh, I think you'll see House Republicans unified in that in that regard. Do you think the conference will come together, like your Republican Study Committee would come together, on a focused, concise, repeatable message? Because I get messaging. That's what I do every day. I sell things, right? Do you think the GOP understands that it's got to do that? I'm, I'm certain of it. The, the how, as far as House Republicans are concerned, I am, I am certain that we will use our leverage in the majority uh, when it comes to a debt limit to focus that attention on securing the border in return. I mean, that, that has to be where we go is the top issue among it. In every, in every Republican congressional district in the country, the border is the number one issue that Republican voters care about. That's why, they gave, that's why we have the majority. We have to use it. Now, I, as I recall, the Democrats were will, willing to fund the wall in the first year of Donald Trump's presidency. If we insist on a thousand miles of wall and a doubling of the Border Patrol and a building of facilities for those who get through, do you think that the Democrats can stand against that? Uh, I, I don't know how they, they can make a case against it. I mean, I've, I've been talking more and more these days with in communities all over northeast Indiana about about the fentanyl crisis and and why what happens when you open the border wide open and the Mexican drug cartels seize this moment in time to flush more fentanyl and illegal drugs over the southern border that that affects Democrat districts just as much as it affects my red Republican district in northeast Indiana so I don't know the case that these Democrats can continue to make against common sense measures like securing the border, building a, building another thousand miles of the wall and providing a, a better enforcement of uh, those laws at the southern border. So that 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 is the, the single most important case that we're going to make in this majority. And to your point, using the debt limit to get that done, that's the one shot that we have. Thanks for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Catch up on earlier episodes at our website, townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubin, producers David Bouchon, Michael Cook, Jacob Ordunia, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt, thanking you for joining us for Town Hall Review. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.